Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howie. On today's episode of Leader Up, we are pleased, we are happy to have Mr. David Paschal. And Mr. David Paschal is a, a member of the Senior Executive Service, and he is currently assigned as the TRADOC Deputy G357. And he's joining us today to talk about leadership and leader development in the Army Civilian Corps today. And so, Mr. David Paschal, thank you for being with us today on Leader Up. Hey, Dave, thanks for that warm welcome. I'm excited about being here. I've watched a couple of your podcasts, and I'm excited about the ability to share some of my experiences with the workforce. Okay, well, thank you. And I know our Leader Up audience is also excited to hear from you. And so let's just let's just start off with a little bit about your background your relationship with the United States Army and kind of how you got to where you are today. All right, Dave. Thank, thanks for that question. So I uh, enlisted in the Army in 1981. Uh, I was in going into uh, graduated from high school, uh, didn't have a lot of money for college, so I enlisted in the reserves to help myself pay for college. Uh, and as part of my college career, uh, I got involved in the Reserve Officer Training Corps. I grew up and uh, was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, and I was able to graduate from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, I served as uh, for about 28 and a half years as a commission officer uh, following, high, following graduation from college, where I uh, served in the infantry, uh, served in a variety of uh, light infantry positions, across the uh, nation and uh, outside the continental United States to include assignments in Hawaii and Germany. Uh, I commanded a battalion uh, and led them to Afghanistan as part of uh, Operation uh, Enduring Freedom. And then I commanded a brigade combat team from Fort Drum during the surge as part of Iraqi Freedom. Spent about 15 months in Iraq leading uh, my brigade through uh, combat operations, counterinsurgency operations. I ended up retiring in uh, 2011, still felt I had something that I could give back to the Army, uh, and I uh, became a a career Army professional in 2011. After serving for about uh, three or four years in a previous position to what was then the TBOC, the Training Brain Operations Center, where I was involved in helping train forces that were preparing and headed to combat, I was asked to apply for uh, the deputy G357 position here at Training and Doctrine Command. And in uh, early 2017, I was appointed to the Senior Executive Service Corps. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of flavor of my background. Thank you for that, sir. I, I do appreciate it. And I, uh, on behalf of our Leader Up audience, thank you for, for your service. We all do appreciate that. And so now you are assigned as the Deputy G357 at at TRADOC, and just tell our audience what that job entails and what kind of things you focus on on a regular basis. Well, uh, I tell you, it's a very uh, wide encompassing job. So 357 is everything from operations, plans, and training. Uh, The biggest priority that we're focused on right now is the accessions environment. 
And I think many people know last year, we did not do so well in the accessions arena, bringing those soldiers into the Army. So one of the priorities for both General Brito, the commanding general of TRADOC, and therefore what we do here is uh, really trying to improve the accessions environment. So that's one of the biggest challenges we have right now. We're trying to employ some out-of-the-box thinking. We have stood up uh, what we refer to as the Future Soldier Prep Course, where we're trying to help young men and women who otherwise wouldn't be able to serve in the Army to enlist in the Army, MOS unassigned. We sent them down to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and we're kind of retraining them on you know, basic English, basic math, test-taking skills. We are so excited because that program has been so successful. We are averaging a 92% pass rate, and most of these young men and women have raised their general technical score by over 20-plus points and are now eligible to serve in the Army. So I would tell you that's the number one priority that we are involved in. And I personally describe the sessions as everything from first handshake to first unit of assignment. So we partner with the Army Enterprise Marketing Office. We deal with the training community, basic training at BCT, basic combat training, AIT, advanced individual training, and pushing these young men and women through their transition from a civilian to a soldier. So that's a little piece of it. Then obviously uh, a large piece of training uh, we, TRADOC, are responsible for training up to but not including the senior service college. So everything from basic training, functional training, professional military education for all three cohorts, officers, warrant officers, non-commissioned officers, and then the functional training classes such as Airborne and Ranger School. Uh, as you probably well know, we uh, combined Arm Center as a subordinate and uh, we helped to manage and lead the uh, commanding general staff college uh, at that level. So from my perspective, you know, I have to help plan and program training, ensure the training base is resourced. That's everything with dollars, people, and equipment. And then one of the big issues right now that General uh, Brito has asked us to, to take a look at is to help TRADOC put TRADOC on a sustainable strategic path. So one of my responsibilities as the deputy here is to lead an operational planning team that's helping TRADOC look at itself so we can see ourselves a little bit better. And just as importantly, once we see ourselves, how do we articulate the requirements back to the Army in an unemotional way? As you well know, Army modernization, there's a little bit of a tension between ongoing operations and funding for modernization. And we have to be able to articulate using the dot mill PF uh, methodology back to the Army, what those requirements are as TRADOC helps build the Army of 2030. So that's just a, a brief description of some of the many things that, that I get, uh, get involved in on a day-to-day -day basis. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, the CES program, the education and training for uh, those of us who are Army civilians, how is that important and how does that fit into kind of that uh, evolutionary uh, changes, change that you just talked about within TRADOC? Well, first of all, I think that professional development, leader education is the most important thing that we can do as leaders within the Army whether it be from the enlisted officer, warrant officer, 
or the civilian corps. It's not what you do in the Army, but I think it's the leaders that you leave behind and how we prepare them to be successful. The Army has recently, uh, within the last, I would say, six to seven years, really placed an emphasis on civilian education. I think before I joined, and, and from my understanding, we didn't have the same level of professional education for our civilian workforce that we had for the military workforce. Civilians were hired. Uh, we expected them to do their job. There wasn't too many training opportunities outside training opportunities. And civilians continued to apply for additional jobs, get promoted, et cetera. We really now, much like our, our military brethren, we are returning those civilians back to the mothership, the mothership being training and doctrine command on a regular basis to help them with their professional development. And I will tell you that the civilian education system is really the baseline for leader development. It's the start point. It's the launching pad for the other programs that are available within the Army. So after you finish your advanced course, your basic course, uh, et cetera, there are tremendous opportunities in both the civilian and the military world for continued education. When you look at some of the EDEM and CEDEM programs that are out there, before you apply, you have to have completed your civilian education system requirements. So it's a building block from my perspective. And those courses in civilian education, that's the baseline and they're the key to progression. If you want to continue to serve and move up and look for additional responsibility, I think it's imperative that you complete the appropriate level of civilian education. You know, for our, and if I could use an analogy, we're not as strict as our non-commissioned officers, but our non-commissioned officers use a step methodology, select, train, educate, and promote. So we are not that draconian with our civilians as we apply for additional jobs, but I will tell you, as, uh, as we move up, we are starting to look at those individuals that have completed their civilian education and ensure that we have uh, educated them to move on to the next role. I think many of, uh, many of my civilians and people that I coach and mentor throughout my career are interested in becoming supervisors. So we have a supervisor development course, we have the basic course, we have the advanced course, et cetera. So the ability to, to go back to the schoolhouse, to re-blue ourselves, to retune ourselves to what's going on within the Army, understand military decision-making process, operational design, the things that are taught in the CES, I think is extremely important. And it, if I could make it, I know I'm rambling here, but uh, if you'll bear with me for two more comments. By attending civilian education, not only are you helping yourself, but I think you're networking with your peers. You know, as we bring a classroom of 30, 40, 50 civilians together, now you're starting to build a network of civilian professionals that I can reach out. I remember when David Howie was in class with me in advanced course and he was talking about a challenge. And then I could reach back out to him and say, hey, Dave, remember me? I'm having something similar. How did you solve that issue or how did you address that challenge? So I, I think that's important to network, to become an enterprise leader. You have to have a network 
that you can rely on to accomplish the mission. And then last but not least, I think civilian education is really part of human capital management, employee engagement, and critical to the transfer of knowledge that we have, uh, uh, again, from our peers and from senior leaders in the Army. So I hope that uh, answers your question. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And those those things that you just mentioned at the end, those are components of the uh, civilian implementation plan of the Army people strategy. So uh, what you're saying is that the, the CES program directly supports uh, the efforts of the Army to uh, engage with people and uh, that, that kind of that human capital and that Army people strategy. So the CES, Civilian Education Program, is a big part of that. And uh, let's go back a little bit, sir, to uh, you said you came in the Army in 1981. And um, how have you seen the role of Army civilians change, even going back that far uh, to, to the early 1980s? How has the Army, the role of Army civilians changed or evolved uh, in those years? Well, I think um, if we go back to the counter, you know, just as a as a basic rule, we go back to the counterinsurgency fight that we were involved in the Middle East and Iraq and Afghanistan. Just within training and doctrine command, we we sent much of the military workforce back to the operational force where they deserved. And as such, I think our senior, our civilians, our senior leaders had to step up and bridge that gap, whether that be as instructors or managers, et cetera. But I think the one constant of our civilian workforce, they remain the continuity for our warfighters. As I said, I've been in this position just about seven years now, getting a little bit long in the tooth. And I personally have had seven general officers that come in and they're, you know, they transfer in so quickly. So they are the relevance to the force. But I try to provide that continuity as a civilian as we look to to planning and programming and budgeting and and some of the main things that that I am particularly um, involved in. So I think that's important. Civilians provide that continuity to our warfighters. I think that's the most important part. The civilian workforce is starting to age a little bit. And I don't know the latest number. I think we said 78% are eligible to retire in the near future. So I am very worried about um, how do we bring in the younger generation? How do we build that bench? And if anything, um, COVID has taught us some lessons, right? Even in the training base, we are now running distance learning, just like colleges and universities. But the expectation of this generation, they they want to be able to do remote work. They want to be able to telework, et cetera. And not every job is important to that. But I think if we're going to continue to bring in quality professionals, we are going to have to address the expectation of this workforce, whether they be Generation Z or Generation A, as we're turning the corner here. So I think our our workforce is changing, but we took advantage of COVID and we learned some things. We continued to operate across all levels. We made teleworking successful for the most case. 
So I, I think that's important. But but more importantly, not how the workforce is changing. I think we have to look forward to the future. So I mentioned one of TRADOC's responsibilities is, you know, to help deliver the Army of 2030. So Army Futures Command, uh, AFC is looking out to concepts and capabilities of 2040. TRADOC's responsibility of helping to deliver the Army of 2030. So we have to be joined at the hip. And I would argue 2030 is kind of an intermediate objective to get us 2040. So we have to be joined at the hip with modernization. And I don't think the skills and competencies that we required in 1980 are the same skills and competencies that we're going to require in 2030. I think as we look for options, you know, the importance of artificial intelligence, data science, the criticality of the cyber mission. We're going to have to reinvent the workforce. And I will tell people, I think you need to embrace it. Too many people resist change and they say, that's not what I signed up to do. That's what I'm not going to, I didn't join to do that. I'm uncomfortable with it. I think we're going to have to embrace change and we're going to have to institute training programs that help make our existing workforce compatible to the requirements. You know, if you look at the complexity of military operations in World War II and Korea and Vietnam, the complexity was very simple, but we had a very large population. We almost have the inverse of that now. Military operations equipment is very complex, and we have a very small population of those willing to serve. So as you look at those things, and then there's there's a little bit of tension with Army structure. And, and some of it goes back to, you know, I mentioned earlier the challenge that we were having with the accessions. Are there roles that an Army civilian could potentially fill from here in the homeland without putting themselves in direct fire risk that would relieve a soldier from doing that mission? Some of the things that jump to mind is the cyber warfare. All that is being actually executed from here in the safety of the homeland, why not free a soldier? Do we leave a soldier back here to do that? Or is that a body that could go forward to help in the fight? So I think that's that's very important. So I think amongst our civilians, we have to be willing to embrace this change. We have to be adaptable to the changing environment and we have to embrace it. Don't look at it as I'm losing my job. Look at it as I'm retooling myself to continue to be supportive to the Army. And I'll tell you here within TRADOC, we've got an upcoming LPD uh, with uh, Tony Dungy and Nathan Whitaker, who wrote a book together about leadership. And we've got an LPD scheduled uh, very soon in the near future here. So I think that's something that uh, the team would be very interested to hear from in the future. And, the, you know, the Army is uh, one of the biggest bureaucracies in our country, and, and we do kind of get pulled back into some of our industrial age or legacy kind of behaviors, and uh, it is going to take uh, some younger folks to kind of come in and show us some new ways to do things, I, I believe, and um, that's, that's part of that workforce development that uh, we're kind of faced with nowadays. Yeah, David, you, you're spot on. And, you know, my idea of what kind of right looks like, if you could bring in a new apprentice, 
uh, a recent college grad, bring them in under the 7911 program, uh, and then partner them with a senior leader that might have some experience. Um, too often, you know, Dave Pascal's comfortable. He trained the way he trained 30 years ago at Fort Jackson in basic training. It's probably not what we need. So you got to bring in this workforce that is much more comfortable with the technology that we're talking about. So how do we bring them in, partner them with a senior leader that has a little bit of experience, and then move the organization forward together? Part of that goes back to expectation management. You know, you have to do things a little bit different. One of the things I'm very proud of, and I don't want to harp on it, is this future soldier prep course. That was never in anybody's design, but we had this population that wanted to serve the Army but weren't passing the cognitive test for a variety of reasons. English is a second language. Might have been out of school for a while. Might have taken the ASVAB test and never thought they were joining the Army and didn't pay attention. So I think how do we reach out to that younger generation and leverage the things that we're talking about is going to be very critical to our success. And, sir, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, mentorship and just what, because I know TRADOC has some programs and we're going to get to those, but just big picture wise, why is mentorship important uh, in the Army and in the Army Civilian Corps? That's a great question, David. Thanks, thanks for asking that. Mentorship, in my mind, is a little bit about it's a lot about self-improvement. I think one of the hardest things that we could do is look at ourselves and identify a gap in our swing or, or self-improvement. So that that senior mentor or that mentor, whether it be a peer, a superior, or even a subordinate, that helps you see yourself uh, for self-improvement and kind of work on those edges and round those corners is very important. That mentorship piece, and, and I go back to as we were just talking about bringing on a young civilian and partnering him with a, uh, a senior military officer or non-commissioned officer. It's about the transfer of knowledge. Um, you know, there's some lessons that I've learned, many of them the hard way over the past years. How can I pass that on to the next generation so they won't make those same mistakes? But it's all about human capital management, investment in the workforce, engaged employees how do we help avoid groupthink mitigation you know avoiding groupthink as you said earlier you know we're a bureaucracy well that's the way we've always done business that's the worst thing a civilian can ever say that's the way we've always done business now we owe it to them to provide the continuity to some of our military leaders but to remain relevant we have to embrace new thoughts and new ideas that, that mentorship, I think, helps us leverage some of our critical thinking skills, helps us think outside the box. But but here's the other part. You know, in my role as a mentor, and I've, I've mentored at multiple levels, I have about four or five folks I'm mentoring right now, everything from those that want to be an SES to a young man that I'm mentoring right now that's part of the apprenticeship program. He's a GS7. I learn a lot about myself. And I have to study and I have to go back. And when these young folks or some senior folks not challenge you disrespectfully, but challenge your thought process, it motivates me to remain relevant and to be able to go back. Um, one of my most enjoyable uh, weeks was through the 
through the staff college there when I was selected to be a mentor for the advanced course. And I went for a week and you know very well, uh, I did some presentations. I did uh, a presentation on uh, enterprise leadership and on my door, there was a sign-up sheet and that sign-up sheet filled up quickly. And uh, I had to extend my hours and I stayed late to be able to help coach, mentor, and talk to civilians that were interested and excited about their own professional development. I will tell you that re-energized me as a senior leader. So I think the importance of it, you know, I just kind of alluded to it for the individual, but as a mentor, it's important too. You have to plan for it, you have to prep for it, et cetera. And uh, I think in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of the tools that are available to help you as a mentor, as a mentee. Uh, yes, sir. Let's let's get right to that now. I'd like to talk talk about the, and I'm, if I have the, the title correct, the TRADOC Mentoring Program, the TRADOC Mentorship Program. Just what is that program about? How long does it last? And what kind of benefits uh, are, are seen from that program? Well, I'm going to go back to what you said. The uh, the mentorship program is part of the TRADOC civilian implementation plan, and you mentioned uh, Objective 5.4, so you're tracking the program. Um, the team is briefing Mr. Brinkley this week. Mr. Brinkley is the G14, so our G1 is responsible for helping run this uh, program. But to me, it goes back to an engaged workforce. So one of the recent changes is uh, we have reinstituted the swearing-in ceremony for a Department of the Army civilians as they come into to CPAC. I had the pleasure of doing that uh, about two weeks ago with, uh, I think it was about 10 or 11 brand-new Army civilians. I came in, had the opportunity to talk to them. Uh, we read the civilian creed, and then I issued the oath of office to those uh, Department of the Army civilians. So the value of mentorship, and, and I'm going to repeat what I said earlier, it's about self-improvement a transfer of knowledge and experience. And we think this this new mentorship program is going to be kicked off the fourth quarter of this year as part of that uh, program. Um, it will include all aspects of mentoring to, to include ad hoc, uh, situational, speed flash, a circular mentoring program, supervisory, cohort-based, peer mentoring, reverse mentoring, and group mentoring. So as part of that, um, not released yet, but they're going to stand up a website about the same time. So again, there's a lot of work being done. We're going to stand up a website that's going to provide some useful products, a mentee, a mentor handbook, um, you know, a how-to guide, if you will. So there's going to be products available that will help mentors and mentees see themselves and embrace this mentorship process. And I'd like to switch gears, sir, and talk to you about your role as the functional chief for the uh, EDIS career field. And just what are your responsibilities and what are some of the programs uh, that, that you oversee as part of the functional chief of that Great, Dave. You must have done your homework on this question. But uh, I do serve as the, the functional chief for IDIS, which is three uh, career fields. EDIS is education and information science. So the three civilian career fields that are underneath that is capability concept and training developers, 
education and information sciences. So our education professionals that work in our education centers and then a CP61, which is our army historians. So as part of that, we've actually stood up what I refer to as our flagship program. We run an annual mentorship program. Uh, we bring in about um, anywhere between 20 and 30 individuals for an annual session. We have two in-person sessions, one-week sessions here at Joint Base Langley-Eustis. And in our middle session is a virtual uh, program. We cover a variety of topics to include red teaming, groupthink mitigation, um, interview skills, interview techniques. We bring in some experts that give some resume classes. So that's kind of the formal part of the program. We have guest speakers, great dialogue, great questions. But I will tell you, the mentors and the mentees sign a contract. And in between those sessions, they've agreed to meet once or twice a month. And we have mentors and mentees talking together, working on that self-improvement, that transfer of knowledge, that um, sustainment of standards. We're pretty excited. Uh, we've had six cohorts. And of that, I think our number right now is about 40 individuals that attribute a recent hiring to some of the skills that they have learned into our promotion program. So roughly 10% have gone on, graduated the program, and attributed that to us. So we bring in um, from our three career fields anywhere from a nine to a GS-11, and they partner them with a 13 to a 15. But just as I mentioned earlier, they now have a cohort of senior leaders. And when we're there at that week, you'll find mentees talking to other individuals, asking and we do a pretty good job of pairing our individuals up. I'm really proud of it. I often tease them. I said, I sometimes feel like I'm at eHarmony.com. You know, as they fill out some requests, we, we take a look at what the mentor strengths are and what that mentee wants to achieve, whether it become leadership or management, and we partner them together. Of the uh, eight cohorts we've done, we've only had to change one mentor and mentee pair. But as I go through my AAR, they often comment, I don't know how you did it, but it's a perfect match. So I tease them that I sometimes feel like I am the uh, eHarmony.com relationship. So that's uh, that's part of our mentorship program there. And then for uh, Career Program 32, which a large portion of the TRADOC workforce falls into, we also run a certificate program where uh, individuals take the required courses and they comply for a certificate and we have five different tracks, uh, five different levels, five different tracks. And what I really enjoy is once a quarter, I'm able to sign a certificate and present it to an individual from the ANSI, which is American National Standards Institute. And I'd highlight that that is outside recognition of our civilian professionals and what they've achieved. So that's just a couple of the programs that I get excited about in my role as the functional chief rep. And the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, sir, is uh, I always like hearing the perspective of members of the Senior Executive Service about that symbol that is the symbol of the Senior Executive Service, and it is that, that keystone. And what does that mean to you, and, and why uh, was that selected to represent the Senior Executive Service? 
Well, I think you appreciate when you look at a brick arch or any kind of arch that that keystone is the centerpiece that holds the arch in place through pressure, through foam. It, it holds the arch in place. So I think my role as a senior executive is to really be an enterprise leader and help civilian, help all professional military education stay in place and continue to roll. So just like I ask my civilians to do at the lower level, I need to be the continuity across the enterprise to be able to provide the resources, the training, and the relevancy of what we have going on across training and doctrine command at our 26 centers and schools across the country. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, it absolutely does, and I, I really do appreciate that response. And um, Mr. David Pascal, the TRADOC Deputy G357, I want to thank you for uh, giving up your time today to engage with us here at Leader Up and our Leader Up audience. So thank you for being with us today. Thanks, David. I appreciate the opportunity. And if I could, in closing, I'd like to just thank the civilians that are out there for what they're doing. Uh, they are continuing to serve their nation, whether they be former military or not, uh, but they're serving our nation in a civilian professional role. And then last, I'd like to put a plug in. We're all Army recruiters, and we need to share our stories with our families, our friends, and our communities and help tell the, uh, the value benefit of serving in the Army, whether that be for three or four years. So I'd ask each and every one of us to continue to serve as a key influencer uh, within our community. And again, David, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And uh, Leader Up audience, what have you heard today that uh, resonates with you? Uh, this is our Army. Uh, we're all a part of it. And uh, if you are an Army member of the Army Civilian Corps, you're part of the Army. And uh, we all have a responsibility to keep this organization strong so that we can keep our country strong as well. And please join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.